0: Joseph and I'm Nick and this is fish jelly yes we oui. see how are you I'm good how are you okay it's Juneteenth this weekend yeah Monday mm-hmm. uh you went out last night you went with me for a little bit yeah
1: how was it uh it was good I well because I originally wanted to go to the bar I like to go to Bar, and they had uh, the theme last night was an homage to uh, black, queer, electronic house music, uh, and I actually danced a lot. What kind of music, like,
0: did you recognize the songs?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they were threaded in there, some recognizable stuff and then like longer kind of riffs that I, I, I didn't know who the artists were. Um, cause you know, there aren't no, no lyrics, but there was some Missy Elliott in there and, um, I'm trying to forget. i Yeah. You would recognize some, especially towards the earlier part, like hmm. around eleven o'clock, as we get to close, and
0: it's just <laughs> I don't know what I was dancing to. Okay. Moving on, uh, I was gonna tell the story of a place we went to get pizza, of a place we went to have pizza last week. Which oh which my I don't God. but now I don't know. Hmm. Why? Well, I don't want to say the name of the place because that seems like mean. But you don't want you don't want to ruin them. Well, because, you know, I'm
1: kidding. (laughs) Uh, It's not mean. I I think it's uh, how is somebody supposed to know they need to. How about this? If you don't. I was
0: on Instagram and I saw a like some imagery of some pizzas. Some imagery of pizza. (laughs) Some imagery of pizzas. They had like these custom gourmet looking pizzas. Mm So I thought, oh, we should try it. So we went two weeks ago, and then we realized that it's a pop-up. So I mean, it's a pop-up inside of like a barbecue. Yes, which is, to me,
1: that seems very strange and kind of like how a parasite works. But, uh, you know, if you think about it. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's the nature of the pop-up, so, le pop-up. Le, I guess
0: so it's this like it's this barbecue place in Pasadena (laughs) so we go and we ate at the barbecue place because we realized that they don't like the the pop-up pizza place is not available on the day we went Mm because we went on like a Wednesday or a Tuesday and they're only available Thursday through Sunday Mm -hmm. but anyway we go to the barbecue place and the service was awful Not at the fault of the people, per se. The server was very nice, Yes, but he's but it it was just it was a cluster. I think they
1: maybe didn't have enough people and they were they have their menu. Their menu is impressive. And I did like my food, but they had a a large array of beers to offer. And uh,
0: they only (laughs) had the server immediately was like, we don't have this. You know, when you start off by being told we don't have this, 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 this and this 15 things, just 15 things. But, and then we were already disappointed because we didn't get the pizza because it wasn't available. So we ordered other food and it was good. It was good. Yeah. So then a week later we go now that we know that the pop-up is only there Thursday through Sunday. So we go and again, service is not great. The host was not, she does play an integral part in the story. She,
1: does. She. I warmed up to her greatly, but she just seems. she's just she seems kind of like stank. She though. was real stank. Yeah. But anyway,
0: she um, so we're seated and we're excited because we finally get to order this pizza. So I let you choose it let you. you I, I had in my mind thought you should get a pizza you want because I want to try something from their actual menu. Mm-hmm. And I did enjoy my food. I did. You got a
1: nice little pastrami sandwich. That was but yum, you yum.
0: ordered something. I think it was called the Mona pizza. Uh huh. I don't know what was on that pizza. Uh it, well, it was like, ho- like pepperoncinis like peppercinis with some kind of like cheese that was almost like ricotta, maybe. They had burrata Oh barata. Uh pesto drizzled.
1: Yeah, and some cherry tomato well, were those pimentos? Uh anyway. And you know how I feel
0: about pimentos. Oh yeah, yeah. But man, that has to be the worst pizza.
1: It's it's the worst pizza I've ever Or, like, I would have made, and I don't have a pizza oven, I would have made a better pizza at home. Because it was a large rectangle that's basically on, I felt like some kind of focaccia that had cooked too long because the bottom was burnt. Like, we could
0: not cut through. When I tell you it was impossible to cut through with the, like, regular knives we get, these weren't steak knives, you know, like, kind of the damn butter knives you get at a restaurant. It was impossible to cut through it.
1: Then they were metal utensils and uh and the top was conge- all that because a lot of cheese and it was congealed it
0: looked like they just I, I think it's exactly what you said because it is a pop-up maybe they came to the restaurant with all of the dough already like made and mm-hmm. baked and the and then they thought oh we can just throw it in the oven for a few minutes to heat up the toppings but then yeah it just felt like the top like it was cold it was cold and the bottom was overcooked okay so important to know i you don't like wasting food i don't and i'm very frugal so if i pay for something it's like i don't want to pay for something i didn't use or consume but we ate my food mm-hmm. and then we ate we, we didn't eat much of the pizza we didn't even eat like a one full slice
1: between us because no. we
0: couldn't cut through it right so we sat there for like 20 minutes just with this pizza sitting on the table mm-hmm. and i didn't realize this but you rec- you witnessed the host and the server kind of like looking and pointing at us uh-huh like there was something wrong uh-huh. so finally the hostess comes over she she comes over and she's like how you like your pizza but she did it in a way because she had not been friendly the first two times we went there and like she seated us she
1: wasn't unfriendly
0: i don't think she shouldn't be a hostess
1: well no she doesn't like her job that's no. for sure but she i wouldn't constitute her behavior as being unfriendly.
0: But the way she approached us was like, she almost was reveling in the fact that we didn't like the pizza because maybe they don't like that this pizza place is at their restaurant or something.
1: She looked like the cat had got the canary. Yeah, yeah.
0: she seemed excited. She's like, oh, so there's something wrong. And I'm like, so I said, I'm sorry. I've never done this before, but like, I can't eat this. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) And she picked that up. She's like, I'm going to take this to
1: my manager right now. (laughs) She was very quick. And then right behind her, the waiter brought us the server, brought us uh free shots
0: like they were waiting in the eaves with free shots. So I think they knew that this pizza was some bullshit and that we probably weren't the first mm-hmm. customers to complain about how awful the pizza was. So they were waiting for us to complain. Mm-hmm. The, but we didn't have to because they asked
1: us. The host comes back and she's like, okay, y'all want me to box this up for you? And I said, no.
0: And you know, that's bad because <laughs> and,
1: and she goes, she, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah in the decades I've been eating out I have never like sent food back I just won't finish it but I'll pay for it and I figure now I know this is not the place to come for this item
1: no but it, this
0: was like I mean this was terrible
1: it was bad it I think it was just like oh the insult injuries like we drove to Pasadena we drove to Pasadena like, twice uh granted that,
0: the parking situation in that area of pasadena is pretty favorable but it's
1: easy it's pretty cute down and there it's cute there are other restaurants you know i'd say i'd like to try but uh, and but even this barbecue place was actually pretty good the food was good we went the bathroom was a mess
0: you know we used to go to bj's that chain oh, yeah and they used to have really great hand-tossed pizzas and then the pandemic and all like well, no, we went before the pandemic. I think
1: that was before the pandemic. It was.
0: So we had gone for a couple of years and then we knew someone who was like a manager there. So yeah. we would kind of go and get free shit and get yeah. and get some free shit sometimes. But anyway, we hadn't gone in like a while because my job used to be located in an area next to BJ's. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why we would often find ourselves there. And we used to live down the street, but then we moved and my job moved. Mm-hmm. So then we didn't find ourselves at BJ's, but then we go after a couple of years. I'm a lark on a lark and we're like, let's get the shit we used to get. Mm-hmm. Ooh, when I tell y'all it, it wasn't as bad as the pizza we got from this place in Pasadena. It wasn't, but
1: it was a $40 DiGiorno mix, but it like.
0: was a $40 pizza that tasted like the pizza you get in school. Mm-hmm. Like in, yeah. the, in 1984, when I would go to school and get the pizza from the cafeteria, yep. this was like on that level. So I think because of the price, it, it just felt like a slap in the face yes and then last night we ordered pizza on doordash because we live by a big food hub mm-hmm. which i'd never seen before but apparently there are these like mega kitchens in certain like more condensely popu- densely populated areas mm-hmm. where they'll have multiple restaurants so there's one of those literally like like a five minute walk from our house yes not even five minutes not even and they have like 30 restaurants inside but i think we've come to learn that not all of those kitchens are in there no the food is being brought to this place and then you pull it from a locker which is super convenient because we can get a lot of food
1: for options and really decently priced and it's decently
0: priced because we're not paying for delivery you know we're, we're going to go pick it up but man that you waited so I felt so bad because I ordered this pizza and then I sent you over there to go get it and you waited for like, what, 20 minutes? Yeah, after they had said it was ready.
1: Yes. Yeah, because that's when I started walking because it was it would be ready by the time I got there. And then, you know, of course, I didn't order it on my phone. So I had to have you text me some bullshit and then look up your name manually and they're like, well, your order has been delayed. <laughs> and of course, there's no real service there.
0: But the upside is the pizza's good.
1: The pizza was the pizza was not worth uh, the hassle
0: no but i would order it again
1: sure like from them directly
0: yeah now i feel like probably won't be ordering from
1: i don't like going in there
0: no it's awkward because it's all these uber drivers Postmates drivers doordash drivers and
1: uh and homeless people asking for food outside but yeah
0: so they're very aggressive so then a, like you know they're it's just a very tense environment and it's like i'm just here to pick up the food i bought like i'm not going to jump in my car and go deliver it so i feel like people seem impatient
1: and, and then lined up or, and then people park in the middle of the street they
0: park in the middle of a major street Our in western LA. avenue yeah mm-hmm. like which is like playing frogger it, it like as a person who lives here and drives that street every day it makes me so anxious like one day i'm going to hit an uber driver
1: <laughs> yeah because people are flitting in and out and then all but also in front of the venue a ton of people are parked usually well they're as they're parked on every street but a lot of people just park and eat their shit in the car
0: we spend way too much time talking about bad pizza um <laughs> i probably will edit it but probably not
1: oh, um now, now we need to go back to masa
0: yeah they have good pizza uh i also keep saying i don't want to talk about drag race and then every week we've talked about it but the only thing notable about the most recent episode because we already know one contestant left mm-hmm. and then this past episode two contestants try to leave
1: one of them more aggressively, but yeah.
0: And then RuPaul had to literally come back into the workroom and be like,
1: "Talk to the children." <laughs> yeah, I, it, and this is All Stars.
0: I was embarrassed for them.
1: It does not feel like All Stars. No, it did. It, it didn't from the from the get. But um Lala, Ree, what did we do?
0: The one thing that one of them said, or that that RuPaul said, that I thought made them mo- like really should resonate with people is like, "You're supposed to be professionals." Yeah, and it is not professional. No to just give up or quit the minute things don't feel comfortable for you. That's mm-hmm. what takes you to the next level, right? Right. Otherwise, you're just a basic person playing games around here. Like
1: <laughs> you, the, the commitment is you're doing that there. The, you know, there's a time limit for you to be there. Just get through it. And I, th- I think it's worth mentioning, um, you know, I hope uh, Ms. Alexis Michelle watches herself and realizes uh, how her behavior is a problem, um, because I think you know, I grew up in a, a white middle-class family and I think it took some time to realize
0: what, what does passive-aggressive behavior look like? <laughs> well, and this idea of like thinking that... I mean, I would also say that a lot of people like to assume the role of victim mm-hmm. and it's and it's not a very appealing role. It like, was... Because first, she... One girl, you
1: told us all that you want to have sex with Lala Laurie, so you are that she wanted two different roles in this little goddamn skit they're playing. And she to Lala, she's like, oh, you can have that one, even though I want it. But she tries to fight Candy Muse, who I don't really like Candy Muse, but I was totally on board with how she reacted and what she said uh, to like. So Alexa, Michelle tries to basically is gaslighting her. Like, take this other role. It's basically the same. <laughs> what the
0: fuck? Yeah, I mean, for and, people who don't watch it, it's like, what are we talking about? And then like... starts crying. Uh, uh it just doesn't feel very like yeah the, these queens don't feel like they are the best of the best because their behavior seems like novices who mm-hmm. want to run away like grab their toys and run away
1: mm-hmm.
0: so i'm very unimpressed well and that and like say lala La for
1: instance who i do really like like the um the runway it's like the runways are
0: her aesthetics raggedy it is i really really like her and she's a fabulous entertainer but her drag is so raggedy but well and speaking of raggedy we've been watching queen of the universe that paramount plus competition (sighs) reality show oh my god which is already i enjoy it well enough because they sing songs i you know they they have the budget to have these queens sing songs we all know Mm -hmm. but You know to call like them drag queens i don't think most of these queens perform in drag they just are in drag well they're to be in this competition yeah like they don't perform at bars and they don't like their instagram is not them in drag all the time because i would i would say like i'm if i was wanted to sing
1: on this kind of platform i would totally be like yeah i'm gonna adopt a drag persona
0: Yeah. Call me Nikki B, and yeah. I'll and I'll look like a. <laughs>
1: and I do drag in my living room. Yeah, like like Zane. What was that kid's name? Zane. Well, Aiden no. Zane.
0: Or um, salt and sh- sugar and salt or su- sugar yeah. and spice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> salt and pepper? Salt and pepper. Salt and straw. Speaking of Raggedy, you know I love Vanessa Williams. I do too. But her makeup on the set is it the second episode, the one where Mel? The first at... makeup. Meca- well, the first episode wasn't great, but the second episode where Mel B is absent for some undisclosed reason because because the judges are Mel B, Vanessa Williams, Trixie Mattel and Michelle Visage and Graham Norton hosted but Vanessa's makeup was like you're <laughs> like it looks like her eyes are
1: bleeding yeah it didn't look cute and then or like if Selma Blair
0: did it yeah <laughs> <laughs> because bad, bad. no because Selma Blair made a video about because you know she has a MS, MS mm-hmm. and so you know her Dexterity is not the best, but she found this device to help with putting eyeliner.
1: Well, I think Vanessa needed that device.
0: And uh, yeah, like, (laughs) Um, yeah, (laughs) that was a bad joke. And then on the
1: third episode, the one we just watched, it's the it's the the theme is like the first time. So you're seeing early first pictures of these drag queens that are competing their first time in drag, as well as the judges, like when they're young children. And Vanessa Williams shows a picture from 1985 so she looks fabulous she, but she's wearing the same outfit and the same hair and it's like okay uh i still really like her but i think she comes across a little like she comes across as difficult because yeah. okay i don't like how the show is kind of treating giselle royale who i think is very talented and giselle royale sings uh save the best for last in front of vanessa an homage to this bitch and she does a pretty good job like I think a, a well enough job to where she should be proud of her work really. Yeah. And Vanessa Williams, like turns to the judges, like, I guess I should stand up now. And then Mel B has the audacity to tear into this woman once again, uh saying that she it was nasally and basically castigating her for daring to sing in front of the diva who originated the song it's like melby shut the fuck up
0: you know Mel B acts like a drug addict uh, that's what she acts like on stage like it's just everything out of her mouth feels so chaotic and um like these sudden outbursts and then she's overly excited about things and then she seems really critical like anytime because the because she went after giselle the first time about singing adele then she went after someone else for singing uh, Amy Winehouse, it, like it—it it, it seems like anyone British she has a problem with. Like you can't sing British artists, right? I don't know. I'd have a real hard time with some bitch who can't sing telling me about my vocals but when I know I sing better than you. But, but okay. But
1: to me, she's there's like an extra rudeness I'm picking up on to Giselle Royale, and I don't know this because she doesn't like trans ladies or what. But it feels uncomfortable. It because she keeps talking about how she wants to make have constructive criticism.
0: And it's like well you're you seem like you don't like this lady it does feel uncomfortable i don't know that i think mel b is transphobic i think mel b is trying to be like a simon Cow. like someone needs to be because this is not her first time on a competition re- judging a competition reality show so i think that maybe she's learned that you have to have like a strong personality because the judges who are kind of nice and whatever they don't really
1: no, but i think you like know, leona
0: lewis as much as i like her and she was so beautiful to look at she really gave nothing I she agree. didn't give good technical advice she wasn't super passionate about anything she just seemed like she was a pretty lady sitting on the table which i'm fine with but uh but
1: michelle visage i think
0: does i don't yeah i i think michelle visage is a good judge I, and she looks fantastic i don't care for her but i'm not going to say she doesn't do a good job vanessa williams is very knowledgeable. So she gives very like precise. She does critiques. I, th- I think what I've going to like about Michelle Vistage is she actually seems empathetic
1: and there's sure. a, there's a way to read people that, and there, there's a time to read people too. And sometimes
0: you don't need to every time. I don't know. I don't think Trixie Mattel adds anything because she's supposed to be the one to comment on the looks, yeah, right. but I feel like she's trying to be very nice. And then also Michelle Visage gives better critiques on looks. Than I agree. Trixie Mattel, but we can move on. Did you see Pat Sajak's retiring from the wheel of fortune? I did see that. I, did you watch that as a kid?
1: I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was like one, one grandma watched that and one grandma watched jeopardy, I prefer jeopardy, but so
0: he'll complete the 41st season and then retire. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I mean, it really is like an institution. It is Vanna's been gone a while, right? No, Vanna's still doing it. She's still doing it. 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 Oh, is she not? I don't know. I mean, I haven't
1: watched that since I was uh, uh, a little thing.
0: I thought Vanna White is still kicking on.
1: I know she, well. Cause they did a tribute to her on drag race, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure.
0: I'm pretty sure she's still on wheel of fortune. No, I don't. Well, be that as it
1: may, maybe there's no retirement package. She can't leave. No, she, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think it's hard work, so why not? Gosh. Well, Uh, that's not shade. (laughs) I I think it's, it's, it's a good gig.
0: It's a good gig. I don't think it's easy.
1: Well, also, well, easy as in by now she's pretty got it down to a T. So,
0: (laughs) well, no, I don't think we can discount the pressure of having to maintain one's appearance. Like that lady has had to look fabulous (laughs) for 40 years. There is that part. And I think that that, you know, that does take a toll on people. Looking good. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. I know. Anyway, moving on. So we have a few things in the sorry to this bad section. We have a few things. <laughs> yes. So number one, last week, I think we talked about going to drag bingo. Uh-huh. And I was going on about, cause they were calling it Agbo. Like that was the name of the event. And, oh, yeah, and yeah. so in last week's podcast, I was going on and on about how it didn't make sense to me. Why are they calling drag bingo Agbo? But I'm so stupid. We were at the Agbo corporate offices. Mm -hmm. So Agbo is an independent entertainment company based in downtown LA that's founded and run by the Russo brothers,
1: which I didn't realize until we watched extraction Two, And
0: so we were in their office at this party watching drag bingo and drinking and eating. But I was thinking, Oh, Agbo is the name of the event. Mm -hmm. No, Agbo is the name of the company that was sponsoring Sponsor, this and yeah. whose offices we were in. So sorry to this man for talking shit about Agbo. Like what a stupid name. It's a great name for a entertainment company, yeah. but it's still a silly name for a drag bingo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Next, uh. when I gave the recap of the crying game and I just said like, oh, like in the end, Fergus and Dill, is that her name? Mm-hmm are free to be together but i know fergus yeah fergus is but yeah. but i left out a pretty important part which is that fergus went to jail <laughs> so they're not like free to be together fergus is in prison yeah, he's in
1: prison. she comes to visit that
0: yeah but i didn't mention oh, that okay. i like i never said that so they weren't exactly free to we be we were together.
1: distracted by her whitney look
0: and and it's so funny i didn't mention them being or fergus being in jail because when i say that she looks like whitney from i'm your baby tonight that's the, like the scene when she goes to visit him mm-hmm. in prison, but anyway, and then in our extraction Two review, you said you gave extraction one and a half, uh, but you didn't, you gave extraction two and a half. I did. Yeah. Oh. So you gave extraction and extraction Two the same score. Oh, I did. Yeah. Cause I had to go back and look.
1: Oh, cause I looked on my letterbox and I...
0: <laughs> no, uh... in the video you gave it two and a half. Oh, okay. And then, uh, we were, I forget. Is it the video for The Blackening? It's The Blackening because I'm talking about
1: Tim Story's filmography. And he directed Ride Along and Ride Along 2. And in my
0: mind... It starred Ice Cube and Charlie Day. But that's
1: the movie Fist Fight, which is not directed by Jim Story. but Tim Story. Tim, Tim Story. But uh, it's more recent, so I think that was in my mind. And to be honest, I didn't like Fist Fight or either Ride Along film. But um, So I guess sorry to Kevin Hart and Tim Story. <laughs>
0: Films released, we didn't cover Maggie Moore's. Uh,
1: yeah, that just opened or premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, uh, which I would have been interested in, but we had a busy week. Uh, John Slattery of Mad Men fame directed. I think he his last film God's Pocket. I didn't really like, um, but he it stars John Hamm and Tina Fey. God's Pocket. <laughs> yeah, I th- which I, th- I want to. is Philip Seymour Hoffman in that before he died.
0: And there's something called
1: Stan Lee. A documentary about Stan Lee, which I have no interest in whatsoever, uh, is directed by David Gelb, who I have seen uh, his previous work, such as the documentary Giro Dreams of Sushi, which I remember liking. And it'll make you want sushi. And then that kind of that B sci-fi movie, The Lazarus Effect with Mark Duplass and Olivia
0: Wilde. Projects of interest. Dust Bunny.
1: Oh my god. Uh, anytime there is a new Sigourney Weaver project I'm made aware of, time stands still. Uh, <laughs> uh she uh let it be known that she will be soon travelling to Budapest to film a project called Dust Bunny.
0: The story in IMDb says an eight-year-old girl asks her scheming neighbor for help in killing the monster under her bed that she thinks ate her family.
1: Yes, and Sigourney said she play. She's like, well, I'm about to play not again another not very nice person, but I have fabulous costumes. And uh, it is the directorial debut of Brian Fuller, who is the creator, I believe, showrunner of Hannibal the television series and Mads Mikkelsen of Hannibal will also be co-starring. I believe he'll be the the aforementioned
0: neighbor. Well, I'm sure as images start to get dropped, uh, your excitement will swell. Oh yes. Next Bambi, Sarah Polly
1: after her Oscar win for, uh, adapted screenplay for women talking, uh, is, I guess Disney has hired her to do a live action Bambi and by live action meaning a lot of CGI, (laughs) Mm. what are they going to do? But good for her. That's a big deal and should further her. Hopefully there won't be a decade between projects again. Let's take a break.
0: Movies we watched for fun. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Uh, this the was, first Indiana Jones yes, movie. Yes, from 1981. You uh, wanted to watch this because we were going to see the new Indiana Jones. The
1: Dial of Destiny. What year is Raiders of the Lost Ark? 81. When do you recall seeing it first? I think I recall seeing Temple of Doom first, being sick on the couch and it was on TV and falling in love. And uh, then my mom bought me all three... At separate stages on VHS, so this would have been probably 1992. Mm. Um, I still remember the VHS cover and the Last Crusade VHS. I remember finding in a grocery store called Festival Foods because remember you could go to grocery stores and rent rent and or buy VHS tapes. Yeah, uh, and gas stations too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I remember c- finding the Last Crusade in a in Festival Foods. <laughs>
0: I liked Raiders of the Lost Ark well enough. I preferred uh, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Next, you watched Valkyrie.
1: Uh, yeah, Brian Sanger film uh, about a Nazi officer who tried the last known recorded assassination attempt in house on Hitler and its failures, but uh, starring Tom Cruise, of course, and uh, Carice van Houten and bill Nye and a bunch of very notable british men playing nazis which you know what the film is does look good is uh tom cruise has a glass eye in it and it it looks very real uh how i thought they did a really good job on making this man look like he actually had a glass eye uh but they treat this man like he's a hero and he is not he it's kind of like the mads mickelson villain in indiana jones and the dial of destiny which i won't talk about now but uh This there were Nazis that wanted to overthrow Hitler because they thought in the end he was ineffective or uh, blind, you know, blinded by his own um, aspirations. And they thought they could do better in his boots and not they treat this. they, They treat the Tom Cruise character like he actually cares about the Jews dying. It's like that man didn't care about that. He's not a hero. I don't know it's, the, the, the there's I f- wish somebody realistically I think it's interesting and compelling uh, but could we be realistic about how these are monsters devouring mon- monsters I don't know
0: Cobra Verde
1: Uh, one of the five Werner Herzog Klaus Kinsey films Uh, and it's one of the there are only two I hadn't seen even though I own it uh, I, and I still haven't seen white check but Cobra Verde was the last uh, union between these two who had a love-hate relationship that's well documented uh, in My Best Fiend. And uh, what's that other documentary, Burden of Dream? Anyway, uh, what's interesting is Klaus Kinski plays this Brazilian thief bandit uh, who... Loses his, I think, his plantation, uh, murders his boss that he works for, and then uh, ends up working for this sugar sugar cane plantation owner and impregnates his daughters. And as punishment, he sends him to the region of Dahomey, which that should sound familiar to you because we recently watched The Woman King, which Mm -hmm. is also about this uh, particular slave trade in that area. And it's supposed to be a death sentence for this man because the slave trade has uh kind of ended and anybody any white man that travels there will get murdered by the locals and he doesn't he kind of reactivates the slave trade and it's a very interesting um kind of impressionistic view of this time in this place and it's very much worth a watch and it came out i think it was a real Premiered at the Berlin f- Film Festival in eighty seven, and the dist- the U S distributor went out of business, so it actually never was released in the U S until two thousand. Black Eye. Uh, this, uh, you know, I like Fred Williamson. This is a black exploitation film from nineteen seventy four, directed by Jack Arnold. And Jack Arnold was big in the f- well, big. He was. His films from the 50s are notable because he directed Creature from the Black Lagoon and it came from outer space. But here he is directing this very so-so black exploitation film about a, private, a black private eye, that's what the title means, uh, who is hired to find this missing girl. And then a bunch of weird stuff happens along the way, uh, including this weird religious Christian cult. Uh, and the, the sideline, the tangential sideline is real bizarre because he's in love with this beautiful black woman, but she is in a lesbian relationship with a white lady played by Rosemary Forsyth. And all of Rosemary's dialogue is terrible, like really bad and stupid. Uh, but again, it's an interesting scenario because he, they're basically fighting over this woman. And Rosemary is also saying she's kind of attracted to Fred Williamson, of course. Uh, but uh, it just, it isn't very good.
0: Dead souls.
1: I finally finished dead souls, which is like my eight- people. Well, no, uh, I, which I think is, a must be a, a reference to the, the Nikolai Gogol novel, but uh, it's a 2018 eight hour, 15 minute documentary from Wong Bing. And it is. You watched an eight-hour documentary. Yeah, Ugh. I had to watch it in three different parts, but uh, the first two parts I watched. Poor Cam. Did you enjoy it? I did. Okay. I think it's. I think it's so excellent, and it's really. It was shot from 2005 to, I think 2017, and it's really just uh, Wang Bing has interviewed the straggling survivors of the internment camps uh, known as Xiaobang. Zhao bangu of the late 1950s early 60s where mao zedong locked up all these uh the, the rightists uh that were if you critiqued anybody in the government for any reason you got put in these intense labor camps and it's really just a series of interviews of these very old men i think all of whom died by the time the film was premiered uh because it's the they're interviewed. It's like this was in two thousand five, and they're like, "Oh, they died in one of the ensuing years," and it's just these men talking about their experiences and how they survived one of several clusters of of camps, and it is harrowing. Like the shit, because they they basically were starved to death in in these labor camps, and with nothing to eat, and they'd be eating rocks and leaves and uh, whatever they could get their hands on, and the experience they taught the, the effects on their body, like particularly their bowels. Um, Ugh. they would like, there's a, more than one of them talks about how they'd have to help each other scrape what they'd eaten out of their anuses, like their bleeding anuses. Um, it's, uh, it, it I don't know. It, it's a, to wit, it's something to witness. And, and if you have the time and can make your way through it, I find, I think, I think it's really worth watching because I, I don't know. I mean like I am like everybody. Like we we're ignorant about certain, you know, you read about these history. I've read about these internment camps, but to actually uh sit and listen to somebody's experiences, you know, uh, there's nothing like that. It's I, I thought it was moving.
0: Salome's last dance.
1: Salome's last dance. Salome's last dance. Yes. Uh so Glenda Jackson died this week, so I I tried to uh Fit in some glenda films and this was i went back to my introduction uh, to glenda which was in this film i think we had just gotten cable and i saw ad- advertisements for salome's last dance and i could tell that it was very queer uh and it's it was my introduction to glenda jackson and ken russell and i begged my grandmother to buy me the dvd so i could watch it because you know, on cable like i'd have to, uh, my parents might walk by uh and somehow i knew i should watch it alone And she bought it for me, and I still have that DVD, so that's what I watched the other day. And it's Ken Russell doing kind of what he does, uh, taking an artist and kind of doing something very uh, flamboyant with it. And I'm halfway through watching Marat Saad, and he's doing something kind of like that Paul Brooks film where Oscar Wilde is watching his band play Salome being performed in a brothel where the prostitutes are playing the roles, and Glenda Jackson is a brothel madam playing Herodias and she's getting, she got this full face of makeup on and this must be the template for which made me fall in love with Isabella pair, how this woman looks in this movie. So it was very fun to rewatch. It wasn't successfully received. Um, but I fear Ken Russell fan, I think you'll dig it.
0: The romantic English woman.
1: This was a Joseph Losey film I'd never seen, which I really liked, uh, basically about, uh, an author, played by Michael Caine, whose wife is malcontented. She goes on, uh, like, she just leaves one day on a trip to Biden-Biden and has a chance encounter in an elevator with Helmut, Helmut Berger, who is in real life gay and was uh, the partner of Lucchino Visconti for 12 years. And they, he, he's kind of, he's a poet, but kind of lives off people. And he comes to stay with the English woman and her husband and uh, things kind of, uh, there's a lot of tension going on between those three. Uh, it's also interesting reading about the f- behind the scenes. Losey, you know, Glenn Jackson was two-time Oscar winner, and Losey thought she was boring to work with. And Michael Caine said he didn't pr- appreciate uh, that she'd eat something really garlicky during lunch because they had lovemaking scenes, which <laughs> I think is funny because she just finished a film with Michael Caine called The Escape Artist, something like to that nature, The, the will now be her last film. But anyway. Hopscotch? Uh, you were in the room a little bit while I was watching this, starring Walter Matthau and Glenda uh, from 1980, directed by uh, Ronald Neame, uh, who you've seen his The Poseidon adventure. That might be what he's best remembered for in the US, uh, but directed a lot of really interesting things, including a film after this with Jill Clayburgh and Walter Matthau the first monday in october which i highly recommend but this is fun uh walter Matthau is a disgraced cia agent who's like curbed at a desk job and during his final years and he works for a bunch of idiots and uh, in response he writes a tell-all book that sends him in a a, them chasing him before it can be published (laughs) it sounds like something it uh it was entertaining
0: Mary Queen of Scots.
1: And this I've been sitting on since I, I'd meant to watch it before that 2018 version of Mary Queen of Scots with Sarah Ronan and Margot Robbie as Queen Elizabeth and her Scottish cousin. Uh, but this is the 1971 film starring Glenda as Queen Elizabeth the first which is weird because that very same year she did a very notable television miniseries where she also played Queen Elizabeth I and Vanessa Redgrave as Mary Queen of Scots. It's interesting watching it because Redgrave as a young woman, Saoirse Ronan kind of looks like her. Um, I've never seen Ian Holm so young as the gay, uh, Riccio, the Italian Riccio who was murdered in front of her. Um, Timothy Dalton is also young, and it, it and it's directed by Charles Jarrett, who previously had directed Anne of the Thousand Days, which is of course about Anne Boleyn, uh, you know, who was Henry VIII's second wife, who was beheaded, uh, with Richard Burton and Genevieve Bouillot. and I highly recommend that film too. Uh, but this was this was a lot of fun to watch. I think I also am fascinated by that very particular period in history and all these terrible things people were doing to each other and and the history of queen elizabeth and mary queen of scots is is very compelling like these two queens and queen elizabeth fearing that uh her cousin was going to try to take over the rule of england uh because there was a faction of the scots who believed that mary queen of scots was the true heir and of course, you know, Queen Elizabeth never married, never had children. She was known as the Virgin Queen, even though she wasn't. Uh, and it would be King James, the child of Mary, Queen of Scots, who was beheaded by Queen Elizabeth that
0: would eventually rule both. And dipping into the obituary section again, Treat Williams died, which yes. prompted us to watch the substitute two schools out which then led to us watching The Substitute. And then we watched The Substitute 3, Winner Takes All. We need to watch Substitute 4, which I think is about neo-Nazis. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But um, I didn't realize until I saw Tree Williams had died that we watched him in the movie The Ritz, which we have a podcast episode for. And then he's also in the film Hair, which I haven't seen. I've seen uh, productions of Hair on stage, But I would be curious to watch the movie. I pulled out my Blu-ray. We didn't make, we didn't have time yet, but I do want to watch that. Yeah. Anyway, the substitute two schools out. I thought was a lot of fun. It's ridiculous. It is
1: ridiculous, but it is a gem. Let me tell you. (laughs)
0: Oh my God. I'd watch that. I'd watch that one again. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. The substitute stars Tom Berenjar, which is taking itself a little more seriously. And Tom Berenjar is less appealing than treat williams so that Mm -hmm. wasn't as fun and that's directed by the first one's directed by robert mandel who directed school
1: ties do you remember that movie Brendan fraser and matt damon no um where all i remember is there's a locker room scene this is like 1992 or three and i know that matt damon is an anti-semite
0: well substitute three winner takes all i i wasn't
1: it's hard i to even read, forget really. what the main premise was he is that the one where he goes to a college and it's about the football team that's
0: right the football the corrupt football team coach <laughs> no, and then God. which one has JLo's ex-husband
1: which ex-husband
0: oh the singer
1: um, oh mark anthony mark that An- is the first one. Oh, the first one that's what because he's terrorizing diane venora she gets nancy kerrigan that's right that's uh right the substitute three winner takes all is directed by somebody named robert radler and i'd be very curious to watch this early 90s movie he did called showdown starring billy blanks oh god (laughs) and that kind of you know on um on amazon prime they have uh bios
0: for oh we need to take a minute to talk about this because you looked up
1: it was that showdown movie with billy Blanks. no
0: but what prompted us to even start looking was that the substitute Three. Yes. So we finished substitute three. And then yeah, like you said, Amazon has this thing where it'll show the cast and then there's a bio for each of them. And I am a hundred percent, percent convinced that AI is writing these bios you. When you're done listening to this and you get home on Amazon prime, you need to go look up like shit straight to DVD or video movies, and then look up the cast and see what they write about these people. (laughs) because
1: it's like an alien robot wrote it right because some things are just like it just mentions what they were in and some things are like they went to uh the the orange county school of drama and were in love with cats
0: (laughs) it is so random so hyperbolic it's so out of control i could sit and read those for hours yeah um well unfortunately there are additional entries in the obituary section so of course treat williams died Yes. And what then, are his uh, most known movies?
1: Well, Hair, uh, Prince of the City, a Sydney Lumet film that's pretty damn good, I think. Uh, I remember him as uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's husband in The Deep End of the Ocean, which is a melodrama, uh, which I could also rewatch uh, right now. And he's in, I think he's James Franco's, is he his dad in 127 Hours? Oh. And he's in that movie about Allen Ginsberg, Howell. Uh, he's he's he did a lot some of it not very good stuff but uh, I think one of my favorites uh, is smooth talk the Joyce Chopra film which you've seen where Laura Dern is that young girl you know what smooth talk has a lot of relations to this week's secret film where she's this young girl who's at the mall all the time do you remember Mary Kay places the mom and her parents leave to go on some trip and then treat Williams shows up who's been kind of stalking her at the mall and then is trying to get her to come outside. It's almost like a horror film. Mm. It's Based on a Joyce Carol Oates short short story that is also excellent. Um,
0: And then, as you mentioned, Glenda
1: Jackson died. Glenda, two-time Oscar winner. I don't really understand why she won for a Touch of Class or second Oscar, because I don't think that's a very good movie. Um, But I highly recommend Women in Love, uh, where Oliver Reed and Alan Bates have the first recorded naked male nudity, (laughs) the first male nudity, then they have a wrestling
0: match, um, which, which for some, I don't know why, but two different people sent me links to a YouTube video of that wrestling scene. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what was said that made two different people send me those links, I don't know, maybe because she hadn't, you hadn't mentioned this. I've mentioned it before, I think. Well, yeah. When we reviewed the shout. Oh yeah. 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 But I mean, I'm talking about like within the past week. Oh, I don't, maybe because of Glenda? I don't know. Maybe.
1: Anyway, I highly recommend Women in Love. Sunday, Bloody Sunday, uh, also, where her and Peter Firth are in love with the same young boy. Uh, the Romantic English Woman, which I just watched. The Music Lovers, where she plays uh, uh, Tchaikovsky's ill fated wife, because, you know, he was gay. And uh, she's in a version of Jean Genet's The Maids, uh, opposite Susanna York which I also highly recommend about it's probably about a decade, almost a decade ago now where Kate Blanchett and Isabel pair were in a stage production of that, which I, I kicking myself for not having made a point to see, but there's, there's still so many films of hers. I haven't seen, but uh, she's, uh, to me, I thought she was fascinating.
0: And then Cormac McCarthy,
1: very notable author. I think he was in his eighties. Um, I think it, All the Pretty Horses I know was made into a, a not well-received film adaptation, uh, but the one that I've owned forever, because my mom had a bunch of his stuff, but the one I've owned forever that I meant to read is Blood Meridian, which I know many like people like Ridley Scott and uh, James Franco can't, the, both had attempted to get the rights to adapt that, I think. Uh, but I've heard that's very good, and I plan on reading it soon. All right, we'll
0: take another break. The secret film today, uh, has some very upsetting subject matter. So this can be a trigger warning. If you don't want to hear about a pedophile, turn this shit off now, but it was Nick's selection and he chose the 2001 American drama film. L I E, which stands for long Island expressway.
1: Happy pride (laughs) y'all.
0: It was directed by Michael Cuesta. I don't know who that is. His
1: directorial debut.
0: Why did you choose this movie?
1: Um, I've always been aware of it and, um, it comes up on certain lists uh, here and there and I, I just had never seen it and since it's Pride Month uh, and I was tethered to choosing something queer related I
0: cho- I wanted to see something I hadn't seen. Which is kind of interesting it's slash int- problematic because I feel like the, the queer I mean what is the queer component that this old like I don't I wouldn't call this a gay movie. I wouldn't either. And I'd be careful to do so because it's like this man's a pedophile and yes not all exactly
1: so it, yeah. was, it wasn't what i was expecting one no but it, it ends up on a lot of lists it won a bunch of awards at uh you know gay film festivals so i had made assumptions i think i, I knew vaguely it was about an inappropriate relationship uh it, it paul dano it makes his his uh screen debut he won an independent spirit award for it it competed at sundance which something like this i i, I feel like they wouldn't do that now um I think it's compelling and also, it reminded me of, it speaks to some experiences I had as a kid.
0: The IMDB description says, a 15 year old Long Island boy loses everything and everyone he knows soon becoming involved in a relationship with a much older man. This description makes it seem a little more, uh... Innocent? I didn't care for this movie. I, didn't I don't think it's well done enough to justify the subject matter. Um, but the story is that this 15 year old boy, Howie, played by Paul Dano, who we'll talk about his age, because I don't know that I think he's 15. He seems younger based on some other indications. But Howie lives like this nice middle class life. His dad is a businessman. The mom has died on the Long Island Expressway. Yeah. So the dad is kind of busy with his work, not really paying attention to his son except for providing for him. And the dad also has a girlfriend who the son doesn't like. But anyway, Howie has a group of raggedy ass friends Mm -hmm. who get him into doing stuff like skipping school and burglarizing houses. Mm -hmm. And one of the boys, Gary, um, Howie seems to be attracted to. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Gary is like a troll, like, you know, he's like, an underage kid with tattoos and piercings he's also a prostitute yeah he hangs out like off the long island expressway in some area that i guess is known for underage male prostitutes Mm -hmm. but gary convinces howie that they should move to california together to start a new life and of course Howie's all about it because i would say he's probably like in love with gary Mm -hmm but one of the houses they burglarized belongs to a man named big john played by ryan cox and big john is a full-on pedophile yeah and while they're they burglarize the house and steal two of like his prized possessions which are these like old guns big john's also a veteran and we find out that big john knows gary like he's paid for his services it would seem Mm -hmm. so he goes and finds Gary and says what did y'all do with my guns and immediately Gary's like well Howie has them (laughs) which is not true so big John tricks Howie into getting into his car pretending that he's like the dead mom's old friend and then he tells Howie I know what you like I know you broke into my house I want my shit back and then he scares Howie enough that Howie feels like I have to get this man's guns back he is able to secure one, but not the other, and then Gary has already left to LA, so he's out of the picture. But Howie tells Big John, "Like, can I work it off?" Mm-hmm. And Big John's like, "Yeah, you can have sex with me, mm-hmm. basically." And Howie kind of agrees to that. So it's important to know that Howie's dad. Is kind of like a shady businessman. Mm -hmm. This plot point is so poorly done, but yeah, the dad ends up getting arrested by the FBI and thrown into federal prison Mm -hmm. all in like one minute. And
1: no social services
0: called. We need to talk about Mm -hmm. that. So how he's kind of left alone, which intersects with him going to Big John's house to, I guess, start paying off his debt. But the other thing that isn't well done to Mm -hmm. me is Howie doesn't know his dad is even in legal trouble, let alone in prison. He just thinks his dad left him. So, Big John like tells Howie what's up with his dad inadvertently because he assumed Howie knew. And Howie breaks down because now he feels like he's really alone, and he basically becomes submissive to Big John like kissing him and saying like please take care of me. And then we need to talk about this more, but Big John kind of pushes him away, puts him to bed, the next morning makes him breakfast, and then takes him to the prison his dad is located and says, go talk to your dad. Here's 20 bucks. Take a cab back home.
1: I'm available to you if you need help.
0: Right. And we're going to talk more about it. But another important thing to know is Big John had like a live-in boy, Mm -hmm. some kid whose name I don't recall. Scott, I think. But he's a little older than Howie. And this kid immediately doesn't like Howie because he tells him, like, you're trying to take my spot, take my spot. Mm -hmm. So when Big John drops off Howie, he he immediately drives to the spot where he knows he can go pick up underage boy prostitutes. And while he's sitting in his car, like looking at the merchandise, guess who rolls up? Scotty, Mm -hmm. his little living boy. And Scotty shoots and kills him Mm -hmm. in that car. The end it's very dramatic it is very upsetting i was so uncomfortable watching this movie i saw this movie in 2003 i remember i remember renting the video from hollywood video mm-hmm. driving back to the condo in vegas sitting in my room putting it in and i think i had just forgotten about it because it's like the subject matter is upsetting but then because the movie's not very well done it just doesn't feel memorable like when we see big john get shot i was shocked i did not remember that at all. yeah
1: i was shocked too um, well, I think that's the, they, I think the ball is dropped in constructing the life of Howie, who is this bookworm, who is very well read. I mean, he's, he, he's memorized Walt Whitman and, that he can just, and he
0: recognizes like a famous artist yeah, portrait. He, and... he sees
1: that, uh, Brian Cox is a Chagall painting. Like I wouldn't, have, um, it, and it just doesn't quite make sense. And I don't know why we needed all the extra drama with the dad to suggest he's actually home alone. Because that opens up a bunch of other questions about, like, nobody's checking on this kid in, in any regard. Um, we have the, gu- the guidance counselor played by Marsha DeBonis, who you just saw on Funny Pages recently, who's again playing another very similar kind of warm person. But she tells Howie, like, I know you're special. Like in in Brian Cox's character knows he's he's something different. He's something special. And I don't know that the film is constituting what is. So, I think Paul Dano does a re- had a really good job playing this kid. But I don't. The movie doesn't convey to me what is everybody is
0: seeing that makes him so special. Yeah, I didn't get that either because he's just as raggedy as his little ragamuffin friends. Right. He reads as raggedy but smart, but then stupid, and then like they think he's gay, but like I don't see what they see and. Yeah, I don't think it was well done, but I'm just going to go through my notes. So his raggedy ass friends. So there's Gary, who's supposed to be like the leader. And, just kind of like a Brad Renfro type. Yeah, like a, a handsome kid. Like it's obvious, like t- to me, it seemed obvious, like, oh, if Howie is gay, then he, he, it would make sense that he really likes Gary. Except that there's another boy in the group who's, I mean, equally as attractive, who kind of defends Howie. hmm I thought that was poorly done because he's like protecting him, but also making fun of him. And then that kid seems a little more. I don't know. It just seemed like that kid didn't need to be a part of this raggedy group. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the fourth friend, I think his name is Kevin, the dumb one, the dumb one who's the film opens with him talking about how he is having sex with his sister and how she
1: can't get pregnant because she only just started having her period.
0: (laughs) It's just like, I don't know it. I'm very sensitive to people saying like extreme things and it's like, oh, you're not reading the room. No one wants to hear the shit. Like Mm -hmm. it makes you look kind of gross. Like, why are you doing this? This is how this movie made me feel like Mm -hmm. it's doing a little bit too much. It is. So Um, there's this incest component, plus this damn pedophile. plus The boy's mom died. The dad's been arrested by the FBI. Like
1: I think it was meant, you know, it's a debut. I think it was meant to be provoking and and it certainly does. I just think that. The same thing could have been told with a, a little more, more finesse. I, I would have loved to see like Pasolini direct something like this.
0: Then the dad on top of that character, I think being poorly constructed. I didn't care for the actress performance.
1: Bruce Altman, he's in a ton of stuff. But yes, again, the, the scene where he actually punches his kid is pretty bad
0: yeah because it starts with him like on the phone and it was very the room to me like Mm -hmm. him just shouting into a phone and then he's driving this bmw convertible and he pulls into he he sees his kids skipping school with gary and he like stops the car shouts slams the door breaks the window of his car like that seemed crazy
1: and this is after his
0: lawyer dies in front of him at a time oh we didn't even mention that yes which The dad's (laughs) lawyer slash friend, who's really inappropriate, Mm -hmm. has a damn heart attack and dies. And then we get a scene so we get that scene then we get the extension of it which is the ambulance coming to pick him up we didn't need that
1: we didn't need that because the lawyer was protecting him from legal trouble he knew just what to do it's like well you can get another lawyer then I guess. and but, then uh and then he goes back to that diner with his kid yeah
0: like like this is not the site of some serious event but Do you,
1: does the staff want to see you again sir i wouldn't go back to that diner
0: also there's a scene where the dad is flossing his teeth and then he smells the dental floss. The dad's going through like a midlife crisis. Cause he's always shirtless at home. And he's like, I lost five pounds. He's doing this. Yeah. He has his son look at his body. Like, can you tell I lost five pounds and how he's kind of grossed out? And he's been
1: doing, he has like uh role playing sex with this woman. He's playing like a construction worker. Uh... And he's being
0: very loud. Like his son can hear his dad mm-hmm. having sex. It was just a lot. It was cartoonish. It was cartoonish. And... cartoonish yeah. But yeah, have you, do people smell their dental floss? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know like if you, like I'll look at my dental floss to see did I, was I successful in getting something out, but I don't smell the shit. Mm -mm. Um, Okay. So when the boys rob Big John's house, Big John hears them and he comes downstairs and we hear one of the kids calling him like a dirty cocksucker, which, which made me think like, oh, immediately I knew Big John's. Uh, probably done inappropriate things with these boys but then big john comes down into the basement and he grabs howie and rips like a part of his jeans he rips a pocket off the back yeah and then he starts sniffing it which was so creepy and then the next scene is big john driving around the neighborhood looking at boys and smelling the he's smelling the pocket which is so creepy because it's something it's like something out of a fairy like he's a
1: witch and yeah um, or it, like a perverted bloodhound and it's one of the only uh uses of music that i recall in the film uh which i thought was i thought it was a very effective scene where donovan's hurdy gurdy man is playing oh yes
0: cuz i think that sounds creepy anyway but <laughs> howie's friend gary wasn't shit because he ratted him out so fast he didn't even try to like get in contact with howie before he left to california mm-hmm. it's just like ugh what a garbage boy. Um, it, it also, it, there were elements of it that reminded me of like Dennis Cooper and of course, mysterious skin. When these, again, I just don't think this is a well-made film. Like the boys are just like burglarizing homes in broad daylight. They're brandishing these pistols in broad daylight. Oh, some the street. Yeah. When they, <laughs> that was crazy as hell to me. Like, Gary and Howie have Big John's guns, and they're just out on like a main intersection playing with these guns.
1: and also how the the prostitutes are right, you know, ironically, I think supposed to be welcome to Long Island, and there's these young, these young men standing beneath it but they're like men crouched right in the bushes like you can see them
0: from the expressway i didn't think that was well done like that can't be how that goes in the the middle of daylight in the middle of daylight and all these young boys wearing muscle shirts like hanging out by the sign, and then all these people driving by cruising them that seemed weird there's a little more discretion used in those spots i know then when bj's big john is trying to seduce howie at a like when he first brings him to his house <laughs> big john's mom is still alive because brian cox looks old as hell i mean he looks like he's in his late 60s he's so supposed, it's like
1: this is his 55th birthday
0: he's supposed to be 55
1: it's yeah, his 55th birthday
0: y'all need to take care of yourselves because that's I, not gonna be me at 55 but yeah. Cause he looked like he was in his late sixties. So I'm like, God, his mom must be like 90 something. But anyway, the mom calls and leaves a voice message. And you know, back in the day with answering machines, mm-hmm. the message was played out loud on the speaker. So we hear the mom while this pedophile is trying to seduce this young He's boy, this kid, the mom calls talking about, uh, Johnny or whatever his name is. Like you didn't blah, blah, blah. Did you make it to the doctor to get your hemorrhoids checked yeah. out? <laughs> huh. Like, oh, no. Um, The diner that the lawyer or friend dies in is called Dick's Hills. Yeah. What an awful name. I wonder if that's an actual restaurant. It
1: probably is. You know, they didn't have the budget to change any.
0: Speaking of the score, the scene where, because Gary comes over to Howie's house once and sees the dad putting a bunch of money, like in an envelope in some drawer. So, of course the boy comes back later and steals the money. So then later on, there's a scene where the dad is looking for the money Mm -hmm. and can't find it. And he's freaking out. The score that was playing during that scene was awful. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden there's someone knocking at the door, the dad runs downstairs and then it's like two FBI agents and they just like shove their badge into the camera, like Mm -hmm. FBI. I thought that was horrible. And then it turns into like a comedy where the dad is like running in the lawn mm-hmm. from like the FBI shouting. With his...
1: This is so unfair. It's my neighborhood.
0: Okay. I thought that was really poorly done
1: again, unnecessary. I think it would have been just more, so much more powerful to have Howie, this kid whose parents just don't understand him. They're very middle, middle of the road, middle brow people.
0: Then I think so. There's a scene in this film when Howie is at Big John's house and he's rummaging through one of the rooms, like in one of the drawers, he finds like Polaroid pictures of young boys. Mm -hmm. So clearly Big John is, you know, molesting a lot of young boys and he has, and so we see all these pictures. And then it made me think of Mysterious Skin and that guy taking pictures of the Mm -hmm. boy. And again, I just thought this movie is not well done enough to justify me being so uncomfortable well and I with what i'm seeing right like,
1: and i don't think michael quest is gay and i don't know i think his brother was one of the co-writers and i don't know if somebody was on here but you know for your first film I, I think i was uncomfortable Well, i don't think
0: it's a gay i don't think you need i don't think being a child molester is about your
1: sexuality no i don't yeah i don't mean to collapse like i'm talking about like somebody's queer experiences i'm talking about myself here where this would have been something that maybe i could have seen myself wanting to write as a form of expiation because
0: some of these things happen to me, you know, I think the thing that makes, if, if I'm using mysterious skin as an example, I think the reason that screenplay works, especially with the character, Joseph Gordon Levitt plays is that we get a sense of his feelings because he's all, cause he's kind of saying like, it, it's a very sensitive topic, but I think like, if you're gay, you know, like, these things didn't happen to me, but like being a gay man and then thinking like, oh, if I were 13 and an older man had done something with me and maybe I found that man attractive, maybe I would look at it as like, it wasn't a bad thing because mm-hmm. I, I I was curious and I did like what was happening. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character expresses that in the film that he liked it because he likes men. So it's like, the, 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 complexity of that, I think works very well in a film like mysterious skin, but in this movie, it's just like, I'm so confused about who, how he is as a person. And then as he is, I think. Too, and then but... be, and the actual production feels kind of like not well done. I will say Brian Cox character, big John is written well, I think,
1: mm-hmm. because I did I...
0: feel like I've met a lot of men like that, mm-hmm. not as an underage boy, but as an adult. I met some people who are really I've met some people who have done some really inappropriate things and the way they talk about them is like, oh, this is like I should call the police. Like, what are you talking? Mm-hmm. About? So I I thought that was well done. And that, I, that's about the only thing that was well and
1: done. And I think Brian Cox gives a I, I think an actor of his caliber even taking on this role is yeah. a
0: big deal. When Br- the scene where Big John is telling his boy, Scotty, like, basically, like, because he has this new boy at the house, Howie, so he tells Scotty, like, I need you to go stay at the motel I mean, for a few days.
1: You're going to have to go kick rocks for a
0: little bit. Basically, and then he, and then it was really creepy because he's looking at him like, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, Big John is telling Scotty, and then he's touching his hair like, God, your hair got so dark, mm-hmm. which makes it, so clearly he's saying you got too old. You got
1: too old. It's like a puppy. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I, I want a boyish. Young yeah. man, and even though this kid is clearly young, he's probably like what eighteen? Mm-hmm. Like he's way too old. That was very unsettling. Yeah. Okay. The question of Howie's age. So he says he's sixteen, but he also says he's fifteen. Mm-hmm. Then, when the the final, towards the end, when Howie goes to visit his dad, and the dad ain't shit. The dad no. is. The first question out of the dad's mouth is not how are you where have you been sleeping he's he asked him something about him
1: like you know i didn't do it right
0: like dad i'm a kid and and you're and no one's taking care of me you don't care but
1: he's like well maybe i'll call aunt marilyn uh maybe you, you didn't call? think of that already
0: but Howie says i just need money and the dad gives howie the pin number to his debit card or atm card or for those who remember the versateller card and the pin number seven eight eight six and how he goes that's my birthday mm-hmm. so then it's like so then this boy
1: because it's, it's like we see a calendar this is october 2000 so it's like you're
0: so you just turned 14 mm-hmm. then so that makes it more unsettling mm-hmm. like because at first i thought oh is the age of consent 16 because i didn't remember the movie so i was like oh is this is that why
1: brian cox is asking is
0: this anymore? creepy old man like doing borderline shit like He's, well it's not borderline it's not borderline no. these boys are underage and the pictures we see of the boys these are like they they're, look like 10 children, 11 children yeah they're chill they're full-on children so that was really uncomfortable mm-hmm. but uh, but again because i think that portrayal of the dad is kind of a joke that scene didn't hit i feel like that moment as the audience when we realized like oh my god this little boy we've been watching the entire movie is actually younger than we thought mm-hmm. should have hit me like a ton of bricks mm-hmm. and instead i was just like oh hell no oh yeah. hell no so this boy is actually 14 is too much it's too much but not too much in the sense that i'm not saying this doesn't happen i know it happens i know like i just don't think this was well done <sighs> yeah I, I i agree I think that
1: this should I, I don't know it, it's not well constructed I think in 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 several ways but that doesn't mean that it still doesn't leave a lasting impression um questo I, I saw his film after this uh 12 and holding which has similar vibes about as a 12 year old um, and jeremy Renners in it and I haven't seen that since the year come out it came out, but he worked with Jeremy Renner again and killed a messenger, which was a film. I also remember liking, but um, I don't know, just kind of, again, I can't keep going back to like, this is a curious, I, I would want to know the reason why this subject was chosen by this director for a first film.
0: Well, even like the, the story you've been writing recently that, you know, I, cause I think I'm a part of the process of, coming Mm -hmm. up with the story for for me it was very it's very important that the story be provocative like thought provoking Mm -hmm. and i and i like the idea of a story ending where it's like as the audience i feel conflicted Mm -hmm. and so i think what you're working on now once we can talk about it i feel like we'll achieve that and i don't know that this film does that because it's like clearly what's happening is wrong and there are very few things i'm questioning about the story Like, it's just like, this is awful and Mm -hmm. sick. Yeah. I think the biggest thing we talked about was how important it is. I think for anyone who is a guardian or a parent of a teenager or a kid, I mean, really just any kid recognizing that kids get up to things Mm -hmm. that like, you'd be surprised. And I can't even imagine. And I'm just thinking about, you know, 30 years ago when I was 13, but nowadays like the stuff people can get into and are exposed to and have access because of technology
1: i mean it was because you know in the late 90s it was the internet that was able to allow certain people to have access to me you know it's so
0: scary to me and the other thing we talked about is i have met a lot of people over the years who have that vibe of big john Mm -hmm. where they have like a routine a method they have tastes and fetishes Mm -hmm. and they know how to get what they want. And that energy is very upsetting, obviously in certain cases, illegal, but even when it's not, you know, even if it's just like, Oh, I like, Oh, you can groom adults. Yeah. Yeah. I like tiny Asian guys. Mm -hmm. And that's even, you know, all of it is problematic because it's just like fetishizing people, manipulating people, abusing people. Mm -hmm. And then when you recognize it, like I had a roommate in college who had a thing for young men sometimes in a way that I believe was inappropriate. I can't prove that, so but um he had a he had a he had a method. He would do the same thing with every guy because he knew that these behaviors would impress them because they're young. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, you have your own place, your own car. He would You know, he had a sequence of events that he would do and it would always yield the same result. And I think watching this character, big John, it was very obvious that this person like had a shtick Mm -hmm. and how effective it is and how we need to prepare. If we're just talking about this kind of behavior and whatnot, like how do we prepare young people?
1: I don't think you, you know, you can't. They're stubborn and they want to experience these things. You know, speaking for myself when I was a kid and like like I thought I was old enough to handle, I thought I understood things and was mature enough to do it. And you just don't. It's, you know, you're naive. But, and in, in sometimes you gotta, I don't know, as humans, I think sometimes people gotta be burned to learn not to touch the hot stove, right? But uh, I, I don't know if there's a way to, really prepare people but also you know pay attention to behaviors that are being exhibited because you know what I think once you start experiencing some of these things you're you know know, your behavior you can tell sometimes that things are going on
0: and I mean I'm not a child development expert and I don't have kids but I think and I can't base it off my own experiences because I think I was kept safe for reasons that are very specific so i imagine that what would work is having very honest conversations yeah with young yeah. people like early on and preparing them for things they might see
1: well and i think it's important. because you know
0: you think like if you're like a little gay boy like i was and then if your dad let's say wants to talk to you about sex they're going to talk to you about sex in a way that doesn't apply to me right so my dad telling me there's enough sperm on the tip of a needle to get a girl pregnant it's like uh i don't know that i got I, you like okay i mean yeah. that's probably, I'm not going to really have to probably deal with that. Like when I remember having that conversation with him at 15, maybe. And it's like, that's so not something that I think I need to worry about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. Well, to me it'd be, you
1: know, But when you were my, when
0: you were that age, you were like a hundred times more experienced than I uh-huh. was. So then it's like, then if your dad tried to have the same conversation with you, it'd be like, then he did too late. His, his advice was if you, if you're about to have sex with a girl, just grab your nuts
1: real hard. Okay. But Uh, not to shit on people's methods. I I think what open communication that is not one that is instigating some sort of shame. It, it just, you know, if you're my kid, be open to me, talk to me about how you're feeling.
0: Do you have, do you have more to say? no because we have like 60 seconds left. oh
1: then i guess no
0: i mean I, we can keep going but i have gone to take si- a break
1: gone in 60 seconds
0: okay well then yeah we're we have to end right now okay <laughs> do you have any final words no toodaloo